Oh, we have Matt Peterson here with us this morning, along with, um, is that your wife or your sister, Matt? She's so young, I'm not, Debbie Peterson. Debbie, stand up and let everybody see you this morning, and uh, four of Matt's five boys are here with us. Matt's on our board of directors, and I have known him, what, 20 plus years, I guess, we were on the staff together for 14 or 15 years, close to it, and in another church. And um, Matt's just—he's a tremendous—he's a tremendous guy. He um, started a water ministry to Africa, which has just exploded. Uh, it's now called Hydrating Humanity. He's a church planter. The thing I like about Matt is he's sacrificial and doesn't tell people. In other words, he's legit. He's the real thing. I don't know how. I'm just going to put you on the spot here, Matt. How many years did you work two jobs and plant that church up there in Winston? Eight? Four? Four years. He, he planted a church in another city in his spare time. i just give you an idea of the dedication and the commitment he has to um, sing the Lord's Bride. Do you know the church is Jesus' bride? Every time you talk ugly about the church... You insulting Jesus. Have you ever thought about it that way? Don't be talking about Donna. You're going to have trouble with me. She's getting a little bit older, but she's still sharp. She's nice. She's hot. But uh, I spent all these years whipping her into shame. <laughs> That's not really true. She's, she said, no, it's not. It's okay, right? She's, is that a scowl I see? I'm not sure. Yes, she said it was. So anyway, I'm in trouble, but... Uh, so Matt's amazing. He's an author, and he's written a book called Dulu, which is uh, it's an allegory. He'll be in the back. He'll be in the lobbies this afternoon after the meeting to uh, sign any of the books any of you want. But it's really a story, I guess, about a family, about some young folks that go through pretty difficult situations and have supernatural encounter and find not only their way in life, but find a way to help others as well. So... Why don't we do, uh, let's welcome Matt. It's his birthday. He's 48 years old. Matt Peterson. Good morning. Great to be here and uh, to see many of you I've known for a long time. And... uh, a lot of you that I met 20 years ago, two buildings down, and really, really thankful for the journey that uh, we've had, and then many, many people that I've never seen before. Just great to be here with you, and I love this building. It's the first time I've been here with the building uh, on a Sunday. Man, I'm, I'm excited. I like, you know, while you were doing all this, I just saw the drawings, and so I didn't see the real thing, and so this is better than what I even imagined, and it's such a great place. Really, really cool. Love all the people here. Uh, well, the leaders, I don't know all of you yet, and I'm sure I would love you too, but uh, the leaders that I know that I've known for so long just really, really love these guys, uh, some of my best friends. And so it's a privilege for me to, to be here today, and so I want to just share a few things the Lord's put on my heart for you this morning. Um, I want to start with Matthew chapter 11. Actually, if you have your Bible on your phone or in your hand, uh, feel free to go there with me. If not, no problem, I'm going to read it here. And let's just pray for help. Lord, thank you for this today. Thank you for the wonder of your love, 
all you've done for us, all you've done for us throughout the journey of our lives, and before we ever breathed our first breath, you were thinking of us, you wrote in your book all the days that we would live. Thank you, God, that you're that kind of planner, that you're that kind of wonderful father. Thank you for what you're doing in us today. Thank you for what you're doing uh, around the world, in our country. Thank you for, God, uh, your care for us. And we love you so much. I ask that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, by your spirit, in wonderful ways, as you always do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. I want to read a few verses here. It says, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? Now, this was after John had already baptized him and called him the son of God. Okay, but John sends word to Jesus and says, are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? John's having some struggles on the inside of himself as to what he's seeing in reality what he and what he hears versus what he thought would happen through this Jesus. He's really saying, are you really who you say you are? He's also saying, are you God? Are you the one that we can trust, like we were singing about today? Jesus answered and said to these messengers, these disciples of John, he said, go and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame they walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Isn't that interesting? And blessed is the person who's not offended by me, Jesus is saying. There's a blessing, I don't think that's just for John, for every person who's not offended with Jesus. Now if he said it that way, and he said it to John, this message is going to go to John, I think it would do us well, would do me well to pay attention to that, to not to make sure that I'm not offended with God, that I'm not offended with Jesus, and I have been before. I have yelled at God through my sunroof, really upset because things were not going the way that I thought they would go, that I deserve for them to go, and based on all I had done for God, they should have gone. I've been highly offended at God. I felt for several days that I lost my salvation, honestly, at one point in my life. Because of how I was so offended, honestly, and my yelling back at him. Anyway, that's a different story. So why would Jesus say this? You know, could it be that we could all get offended with Jesus by the way that he does stuff? John the Baptist was no ordinary follower of God either. Think about this. John the Baptist. Jesus called him the Elijah of the time, the forerunner to pave the way for the Son of God coming. Jesus actually said about John the Baptist that there's no other person born of a woman, born from a woman, greater than him. 
He's not an ordinary guy even. Then he's this prophetic person that God chose to be proclaiming what's going to happen in the future. He's in the wilderness eating grasshoppers and all that stuff, baptizing people. But he is a set-apart person. He knows God. He hears God's voice. Yet, this person can get very offended, could get, had the potential to get offended by Jesus, by the way that he does things. There's some tricky things in life for all of us to navigate. A lot of tricky things, things people don't tell you about. Expectations are one of them. These are some tricky things. I want to talk about that today because I have seen, I've been uh, in the church my entire life, thankful for that. I remember meeting the Lord with my dad when I was seven years old in a garden on a Saturday morning in July of 1976. And the feeling that I had of honestly a weight of sin, I was seven. I felt it though. And he led me, my dad led me to Jesus. So thankful for that. Been in church again all my life, have experienced many, many things. I was a first time visitor during a church split one time. They didn't even welcome the first time visitors. They just started screaming at each other in the church split. I've seen crazy stuff in church. And I've seen thousands of people, literally thousands of people, if not tens of thousands, probably tens of thousands to be honest, go through and many of them go away offended. That's not exaggeration in any way. I've seen it over. And there's a lot of people got offended with Jesus and with other people. And it has to do with expectations most of the time. I don't know that there's any greater cause for disbelief or falling away or divorce or leaving the church or causing any type of offense than expectations that are not met. And when they're not met, people bail. They bail on spouses. They can bail on church. They can bail on friends. They can bail on family. They can just bail. Because offense, whoo, man. You go there and people change course for their life due to offense. Though these things ought not be. It happens. I've done that. I remember one of the first words that Bob Jones gave me had to do with that very thing. He said to me that I've been offended and I chose a different course than God had for me. And he was right. I had to get back where I needed to be and some of that was dealing with the own offense that was in my heart of how I'd been treated. I wouldn't be here if I hadn't done that. We all have to do that. So what was John the Baptist expecting? It's interesting. Here's three things that John the Baptist prophesied. He heard from God and spoke them out. First one, Matthew 3, verse 11, he says, I baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. He's speaking of Jesus. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist heard from God this word about what Jesus would do, and he prophesies it publicly. 
about Jesus coming with a winnowing for. He came to take care of business. To deal in righteousness. To handle situations. To sweep out evil. All of those things. And then John the Baptist also said, recorded in Luke, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's fire attached to both of these prophecies. And he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. The third thing he prophesied in the book of John, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Now it's interesting, of those three things, two of them, he would not, the first two, coming with a winnowing fork in his hand, clearing the threshing floor, and baptizing the Holy Spirit in fire, John the Baptist did not, did not get to live to see either of those. And you and I haven't seen the first one yet. It's been 2,000 years. And Jesus hasn't come back with a winnowing fork in his hand, which he will. But that one hasn't happened yet. But in John's mind, he prophesied, this is when just, this character comes, this is the, these are the things he's going to do. But when he wasn't doing those things, that can cause some offense there. He's just like going around preaching, being nice to people. Feeding them, healing them, stretching out his hand and touching lepers. Causing the dead to rise back up. Had nothing to do with being baptized with the Holy Spirit in fire or cleansing the threshing floor. It's interesting how this works, how God spoke to John and how John interpreted what he was feeling and seeing. We all do that. We can all do that. See, God reserves the right to do things the way that he wants to do them, regardless of how we think he should. And we have to be okay with that. If we are not okay with that, we're going to be offended. That's just how it works. Have you ever, a um, couple of different things, let's say you're driving down the road, you're listening to a radio station, and the DJ is speaking, he's introducing the next song, who just played, Here's the next, he's got this deep, rich voice, and then you go to an event, and that radio station has a booth set up, and there's the DJ in real life. And in your mind, when you heard his voice on the radio, you're Guess what? Every single one of us has a painter on the inside of our brain who paints a picture based on what we hear. Every single person in here. And when you heard that DJ's voice, an image in your mind was painted of what he looks like. And then you go to the booth and you see these strangers there. And then you meet the one of the voice that you heard on the radio. And you're not sure how this could be. Because the picture in your mind has nothing to do with the resemblance of reality. Right? Does not resemble reality. Same thing, you meet someone on the phone. Then you meet them at a restaurant, in person. They, how many times has that happened to you and they never look like the person you thought they were going to look like? Does that happen to anybody other than me? In fact, let me ask you this. Has it ever matched reality one time for you? How about a hand on that one? Not one hand. How about that one? Think about that. If every time we hear something and our painter goes to work, it's wrong every single time. Think about that. That is a 
clue, it's a key for us that will help you in life in major fashion. I love the arts. Let me say this first. I love the arts. I also love the prophetic. I live in the city of the arts in Winston-Salem, and we... I've got so many prophetic words. It is one of the most exciting things that I think is on the planet. God speaking to us to encourage, build up, edify, comfort. All of the things. My life, I won't be married without the, the prophetic, honestly. I wouldn't be living right and living without the prophetic. It is a powerful, wonderful thing. But there are dangers as well for you and I with that painter character. Because God speaks, but how we, what we do with that is pretty important. How we treat that. We should be painting naturally, like these ladies were just talking about. Get involved with the arts. Create all those things. That's a wonderful thing. But let God do the painting of the journey of your life. And the course of your life. He's an amazing painter. And he will paint behind you as you follow him this incredible, incredible masterpiece that you could not have even thought about. You could not have conceived. It's going to be different. It's going to be better. But it'll be different than the way that we think it should be or will be. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance. In any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. That's not preached very often. Paul experienced both of those regularly. Having all kind of abundance, but also having great need. And he said, I've learned the secret, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He didn't say, when I'm suffering or in need or hungry, God has let me down. Where did he go? What have I done wrong? Where have I sinned? He said, I can do all things in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret. God's in it all. I'm going to be okay, and I can do all things through his strength. I can make it through a difficult situation. I can abound in prosperity, and that's going to be great too. But I'm not tying how what my circumstance is to how God's feeling about me in that moment. I'm not tying what's going on in this moment to this picture in my mind. If it doesn't match up, I'm going to be devastated. He's a smart guy. And I'm telling you what, I need to grab a hold of that. You and I both need to grab a hold of this one right here. That in any situation, make sure we interpret things rightly. Paul allowed the future to be constructed and shaped by God while keeping his eyes on Jesus every day. Following Jesus wherever he goes, doing what he wants me to do, and letting God construct the circumstances, the situations. And he did not get shipwrecked in his faith. Though he was... Stoned, not marijuana variety. Real rocks thrown at him, hitting him, left for dead. That's a bad day. That's a rough day. That's a difficult day. How about bobbing around in the ocean for three days? Real shipwreck in the natural. Yet he never got shipwrecked in his faith. 
partially because of this. He didn't have a painter going crazy up here that he held on to these images of how things should be. He held on to the one who held him. And he could go through every situation and trust him. You know, the Pharisees who knew the Bible better than anybody else, from the time they're 13 or so, they have already memorized the Torah. Imagine for a second memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Have you ever even read Leviticus? Imagine memorizing it. As a teenage son in particular, you memorize these things. The Pharisees had the word in them more than anybody else did. And then the word walks in front of them and they miss him entirely. Because in their mind, they all, the painter had gone to work. Based on what they read and the Messiah coming, he was going to look like something different than reality presented. And they not only missed him, they became his enemy. You and I can become the enemy of God's plan and purpose as well by holding on to an image of how something should look when God presents something different. We can miss it entirely. Someone can be right in front of us that God has and wants to use in our lives, but they don't match up with what we think they should be. And we can miss it. We can miss jobs. We can miss opportunities that we don't want to miss. But we can. That happened with the Pharisees. How about this one? And I, I, again, I love the prophetic. But this is what happens so many times. Let's say someone gives you a word that you're called to evangelism. And they see you um, in stadiums preaching to 100,000 people. Or maybe they don't even say that part. They just see, they see you leading many, many people to the Lord. And your painter goes to work. And he paints this image of you in the stadium with 100,000 people. And you're holding on to that. And you're waiting for God to provide the platform for that to happen. Because you've painted this image and you're carrying it around with you. And this is, this is how it's going to turn out. This is what it's going to be until it's like that. I really haven't fulfilled this thing yet. When God puts opportunity after opportunity for one on one or one on three or however many people puts in front of you, and those are the people to minister and let God paint the picture of what the stadium's going to look like. It happens so many times. It happened to me so many times by getting these images. How about, and it affects everything in life, not just one thing, not just spiritual life. How about this? You go to get married. And the painter goes to work. This is what marriage is going to look like. You're going to have sex every day. Right? All these things. This wife, she's going to take care of this. She's going to do, she's going to do all these things. She's going to, we're going to get along just perfectly all this time. I remember um, having never seen my parents argue one time in front of us. They did behind closed doors, but never did in front of us. So in my mind, when you get married, I had this image that you don't argue. Our honeymoon was devastating for me in that area. <laughs> because we had our first argument on our honeymoon. We're in paradise. And I am struggling, feeling like I'm a failure at marriage. Because I had a picture painted of something that wasn't reality. Are you guys alive, awake? You can have this idea and word and mission and God to start a business. 
and your mind, you, you're, you're sitting at a desk with piles of money on the desk. Right? And until it's this way and the, the restaurant is packed or you're selling more gadgets and gadgets than anybody else knows, you're not really there. But I'm telling you what, the process of that may not look like that. In fact, it's never going to look like that, probably. There's going to be some labor involved. There's going to be some difficulty, some hardship. But if you can grab a hold of what Paul grabbed a hold of in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in this moment, in this day, in this situation, in this marriage, in this business, in this church. There are people who come to church Maybe everyone, maybe close to everyone, and they go to that church with an idea of what's going to happen as they attend there. At some point, and I'm telling this from firsthand experience, I remember going to his church, and in my mind I'm thinking, due to my gifting, due to how much I love God, due to my experience, due to uh, the things I've done previously, when I did this thing, and I did that thing, and I did that thing over there, the pastor will certainly recognize this anointing on my life, and roll out the red carpet and invite me up onto the platform and give me this thing. And when it didn't happen that way, I was devastated. Obviously, he's missing things. He doesn't have the right discernment. Because if he was truly discerning, he would recognize what was on me. That's a real story. I did that very thing and got really upset, devastated with God and the pastor. Obviously, I better, I better go to another church then. With all of who I am, that's the gift to humanity. And certainly the red carpet will be rolled out. Man, I'm missing some stuff there. Okay. It applies to everything. That painter goes crazy for every single thing in life. We got to control that character. How about this one? Exodus verse, excuse me, chapter 20, verse 4. We're going way back in Exodus during the Ten Commandments. Here's one of the Ten Commandments, ready? You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. For I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. Now, when it says that word image there, speaking of that time of idols, people would form out of wood or gold or rock or whatever. They would worship that thing. But it's interesting. I've never watched someone in America worship a piece of stone, some sort of thing, molten image, or any of those kind of things. But I have seen people very loyal to this image in their brain that their painter painted of how things should be. It's the same word in a different time. And God is a jealous God. He doesn't want you holding that up above him or any of his people, and it better match up to this. He wants us to be looking at him, doing what to do on a daily basis, following him, keeping our eyes on him above every other image in our brain, every other expectation that we have in our heart. I have a friend that I've known for probably over 20 years. And uh, when he was in college, he had an amazing experience with the move of the Spirit of God in his, on his college campus. People meeting the Lord like crazy. T- 
times where these students are gathered together through the night, praying, worshiping, Spirit of God falling, people getting healed, prophetic words, an experience in the presence of God that, was, that changed his life. He went from a, a hippie, drug addict, to a person who was full of the Spirit. But as I got to know him several years later and his family, he's a great guy, but he could never commit to anything in the churches that we were in as far as leadership, as far as providing leadership, as far as commitment, as far as being fully engaged or enjoying where he is because of that experience that he had, that became the painting. That became the new image of what things should be like. And until it looks like that, I'm going to keep wandering around. And he's waiting for that because to him, that was true Christianity, that experience. And so any church he goes to, the pastor or everybody else, he's holding up this thing compared to them. Now, and that image became the thing that he's waiting for, longing for, and he's not going to get involved with in a deep fashion or commit in any way, even though he's incredibly gifted. Incredibly gifted guy. Could have provided a lot of leadership, help serving, built other lives up, and he did in some ways, but he would not commit to anything because nothing matched his previously. And here we have the God who does things new every single day, right? He's going to do things different in every season, every generation, and every time. It's the way that he is. He's not going to do something today like he used to do. It's always going to be different. And if you're waiting for like he used to, guess what? You're going to be sore pointed and unfruitful, honestly, in today because today's different. Do you remember the disciples arguing amongst themselves, these 12 guys, about who's the greatest? No, it's me. No, no, I'm greater than you. Remember, I multiplied a lot more bread than you did. I gave a lot more away than you. Those kind of, that was a real thing. These guys are arguing about that. So much so they got their, one of their moms involved <laughs> to talk to Jesus because they all had this image in their mind. This, these are the disciples. They had this image in their mind too of where this whole thing was headed. They saw 15,000 people get fed with a lunch. They saw the dead raised. They saw crowds running around the lake as they're rowing across, beating them to the other side. This is a movement. This is something exciting. This is going somewhere. And the painter started working in their brains of what this was going to look like and where this was headed. And here's where it landed. It landed with Jesus taking over. Plus, he kept talking about this kingdom. He kept talking about all the things that were going to happen. And in their mind, there goes Caesar. There goes Pilate. There goes these leaders. Jesus is going to be there, and we're going to be up there with him. We're going to be on the platform. We're going to be on the stage, just as we are in these villages. It's going to be a larger stage. People are going to be looking at us. So they start vying for position. Hey, we got a new president right now. You, you, want to, you think there are people vying for positions right now? That thing is, it's always working. Trying to get people to navigate themselves into position. That's what happens to the disciples. They're thinking about that. They get their mom involved. Jesus, can you, uh, you know, just my two boys, one on the left, one on the right, when you're, you know, this is going to be happening, obviously. And then something changes. 
Jesus starts talking about, I'm going to die. But in three days, I will be raised again. He says that message. He gives that word, that prophecy. In fact, let me read this to you. Well, you know what happened there. As soon as he said that, Peter hears it. He says, "Uh, Jesus, excuse me. He pulls Jesus aside and says, uh, you know, no more talking about this death stuff. No, we're not, that's, that's not, we have, God forbid that you die. Because they've already got the image of what, where this is headed. It's going to look this certain way. And as soon as Peter says that to Jesus, Jesus lets him finish speaking, then he rebukes him. And here's what he says. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed. Be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. There's a conflict with the image in his mind, right? But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. And then this last part, listen to this. For you are setting your mind on, excuse me, you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Listen to that. You are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's interests. See, when man's interests supersede anything that God wants to do, then there's going to be a problem. There's going to be a misinterpretation of a prophecy. Happens every time. There's going to be a misinterpretation of a circumstance every time. If the interest is squarely fixed on me and what I want, need, desire, wish to happen, then there's going to be a problem. The crux of the matter is this. Is it my interest or is it God's interest? When I went through that situation that I told you about and I yelled at God and I felt like I wasn't a Christian for a while, And I felt like God really dissed me, distanced himself, mistreated me, all those things. On the third day, I was upset about my situation, and the Lord spoke to me. And he said this. He said, if I chose to invite you to wash toilets for me, would you do it? Man, that was like pouring salt into a wound. Because I already felt like I was not getting treated the way that I should be treated, not doing the kind of things I should be doing based on my gifting and talent and all that stuff. And then he asked me that question, would you do it for me? And I didn't answer. I took another day. And then I thought of Peter. And I thought of the situation in John chapter 6 when he said, if you want anything to do with me, you must drink my blood and eat my flesh. And it says, many left him that moment. He said something difficult. It offended them. They left. Except for Peter in that moment, he said this, where am I going to go? For you have the words life. And so that became my response to God when he asked me about the toilets. It wasn't necessarily my calling, but it was going after something in my heart, my interests. And I said, Lord, I, 
I don't know what all this means, but here's what I know. I've set myself up to work things around so that my interests happen. The prophetic words I've received, the desires of my heart, all those things. I just make a shift right now. And I say, you're the one with the the words of eternal life. I don't have this figured out. I want to make a trade. And I apologize. And I'm telling you what, there was something that was set in my heart from that moment that has helped me through the rest of my life was that right there. It's the same thing that Peter went through. Whose interests are primary? God's or mine? It's interesting too with Peter. Later on in his life, after Jesus died, remember that he had boasted, there may be other people that fall away, but I won't. Right? Remember him saying that? And then he denies Jesus three times. And then he goes away bitterly weeping because he realizes what he's done and what's happened. And then, not only that, Peter decides to leave ministry. You know, he left ministry. He left the calling that God had for him. He had failed. He denied the Lord. He, he bailed on his friend that he, when he needed him the most. He felt horrible about it. Even when Jesus resurrected and he's there with them and he has that experience of seeing him raised again, he walks through the wall into their meeting, Peter still decides to do something. He says to the guys, he said, I'm going to go back fishing. I'm going to go back doing what I used to do that I was good at. Anybody else want to come? And some of the guys said, yeah, we're coming too. So they went back to their old trade, got in a boat they hadn't been in in a while doing something that was comfortable, that they knew that they could do in their own strength, they thought. They get out there, they fish all night long. They don't catch one fish. So the thing that they, the the default, the thing that they knew would be okay, because they knew what they were doing, that didn't work either. They couldn't catch one minnow in a lake full of fish. And then Jesus shows up at the shoreline. You guys know the story. And he calls out from the shoreline. And they don't recognize his voice. Have you caught anything? <laughs> who, who just asked that question? Put your nets on the other side. Now, they'd had that happen a couple of times previously. Right? You'd think they would have went, uh, there's only one person that's ever told us to do that. Worked out really well. That thought didn't come to their mind. They're angry. It's been all through the night. But they did it anyway. They moved their nets to the other side. You know, six feet. And all of a sudden, the nets get full of fish. There's 153 fish. And all of a sudden, John says, it's the Lord. Peter stands up, puts some clothes on, jumps overboard, swims to the shore. And there's Jesus with a fire and a frying pan of some kind. And there's a fish that they couldn't catch all night long. He's already caught, and he's cooked it for them. He's got breakfast ready. And then Jesus says something to Peter. Boy, think about this. All that he's been through, all that he's proclaimed, all of his failings, all of the paintings in his mind that have been dashed, 
like him sitting next to Jesus on his throne and in reality presented Jesus hanging on a cross with blood pouring out of his body? That picture got ripped to shreds. That painting that had been painted was completely gone. His calling, all the things that he thought he was going to do, ripped to shreds. Now he's sitting there on the shoreline, wet, seeing this fish cooked, and there's Jesus. And Jesus says to him, do you love me more than these? He points over to the fish. That he'd just gone back to. He left ministry, went back fishing. Do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord. Says it to him three times. Ask the question three times. He said, come follow me. Those are the same Three words that he'd given him three and a half years earlier. The exact same calling. Come follow me. In other words, don't follow the images in your mind of how you think this is going to happen. Don't follow and imagine how this is going to work out here. And in Jesus' mind, here's what he's thinking. In 40 days, you're going to lead 3,000 people to the Lord. You're going to see the Holy Spirit come with a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. And you are going to be, just a little bit after that, leading the Gentile nation to me. And you're going to see the Holy Spirit fall in a Gentile's house, which isn't supposed to happen. You've got visions ahead of sheets coming down from heaven with all these different creatures. I'm going to lead you in all kind of things. Jesus knows all that stuff. But what he says to him are those things. He says to him, come follow me. He's saying, Peter, would you leave all this behind? And again, put your eyes on my back. And would you follow me? And we're going to go some places. But you've got to leave behind all the expectations that you have of how you think this is going to turn out. Because I will be there with you. Jesus said that, right? I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. And that's what he wants for each of us. In fact, it says of Jesus in Hebrews, the way that he endured all that he went through was keeping his eyes ahead on his father and the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Then it says, keep your eyes on Jesus who has done these things for us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, he said, I'm afraid. Paul was afraid of something. Now, this is a guy who'd been bobbing around in the ocean, beaten up, stones thrown at him, almost dead, and he says, I'm afraid of something. You know what he's afraid of? I'm afraid that even as the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning, that your minds may be corrupted and led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus Christ. I'm not afraid of all the kind of craziness in the world. Paul wasn't afraid of that. He was afraid that people would leave the simplicity and purity of devotion to the person of Jesus on a daily basis and thereby get shipwrecked themselves. It's a word for all of us. And God is this master painter who wants to paint a masterpiece, and it is. He's already actually written it down in a book with your name on it, according to Psalm 139, that's in heaven. Your book, you each have one with every word written about all the days of your life before you even lived one. 
and he's got the master painting. And so part of my job is when I hear something, when it's a prophetic word, give it, but allow God to do it the way that he wants to do it. Receive it, but allow God to paint how this is going to turn out. I remember um, someone saying to me when I felt called to missions, that this was my life calling I felt for a while, was to be a missionary. In fact, when I asked my wife to marry me, I'm almost embarrassed to say because I, I had some messed up thinkings, but here's what I did for, to my poor wife. On the day that we got engaged, I took her to a restaurant, and I said, I have two questions. I said, first off, I'm called to the mission field. We will probably never own a home. Are you okay with that? She said, yes. And I said, um, since we are called to the nations, will you follow me wherever God directs me to go? She said, yes. I said, will you marry me? Those are my two leading questions. <laughs> That's a true story, right? And within two years, we bought a home. <laughs> and we've had five since. And someone said to me along that journey, like, where are you, where are you supposed to go? And I said, I'm called to the mission field. I'm called to go. And he said to uh, me, what if God sent the nations to you? I went, uh, hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about that. What if God sent the, it was because I painted a picture. It's a grass hut in Africa, and that's how it's going to work. I didn't, I was trying to paint something that God had not clarified. And that was causing me to bump right up against his real plan and purpose for me and not get through. Right? But God is so generous. And he's so incredibly generous. Because we do these boneheaded things. And we make these mistakes and we have these paintings and images. And he still gives us opportunity after opportunity, just like he did for Peter. He goes to him and finds him, cooks him breakfast, and says, would you come follow me again? You know, that's how he is. He's that kind. He's that generous. He's that magnanimous for every single one of us. He gets us right back on the track. And Peter had some huge surprises ahead. All he had to do was keep his eyes on Jesus, and he was about to walk into some stuff. Stuff that had never happened before. Things that he could not have figured out. In fact, the painter could not have painted because it had never happened before. Hey, there's no reference. There's no grid for it. And God's got that for you and I. Giving him, as I give him the words, I'm, I hang on to the prophetic words that I receive. I've, I've got them with me. I carry them with me everywhere I go, actually. In journals and on my computer. But I give them to God saying, may this happen the way that you want them to happen. And let me step out in faith. I see it as an invitation for faith and encouragement to keep going as you direct me and I keep my eyes on you and let him do it. He's so good at doing that for us. Can I pray for you? Why don't we stand? You're, you're done. You're tired of sitting, I'm sure. Lord's got great stuff for all of us, every single one of us. And here's the thing, just like Peter, 
His calling and purpose was not annulled or aborted based on his mess-ups. How cool is that? He totally messed up. More than once in more than one way. Multiple ways at one moment even. And his purpose was intact. His calling fixed. The opportunities for the Holy Spirit to use him, still there. All he had to do was reorient and align his eyes. From the image that had been painted and his expectation of what he thought to Jesus himself. And you'll never go wrong when your expectation is fixed on him. And then when something happens a certain way, you can behave as Paul does. Wow, look at this circumstance. Look at this circumstance. I know how to survive in this one. He that's in me is greater than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Jesus Christ. And you get right through that one instead of go shipwrecked. So Lord, we just, all these words right now, all these examples from remarkable people that we get to have as examples for us. Thank you, Father, that you love us so much that you would send your very best to deliver, set free, become our friend, prepare a place ahead of us and prepare our path, forgive us of our sins. We are blessed, overflowing with your generosity and the richness of your ways on our lives. There's a way of escape in every situation for us. There's a purpose and a path. And Lord, I pray for that pathway for every single one in here, everyone who has had dashed expectations, everyone who has felt like Peter with every painting ripped to shreds of how they thought life was going to be, marriage was going to be, jobs were going to be, church was going to be. And here we are, still your kids that you love and you're crazy about. So we right now say we let go of all those shredded images and it had nothing to do with you not being faithful. Had nothing to do with you leaving us because you didn't. Had nothing to do with you letting us down because you didn't. We give all that to you. Marriages, family, jobs, relationships, church experiences, ministry experiences, failings, all that stuff. Here we are, Lord. We give that to you. And we ask for a fresh invitation to follow you personally. Because in many ways, we've just begun. Our purpose is still there. And I ask that you'd invite every person in here, Jesus, the way that you do that. You give them breakfast. You give them something to eat. You feed them. And then you invite to follow. And I ask that you do that for each of us here. And we say yes. Even if we don't understand it. We say yes, Lord, to getting back up on the horse. To standing back up and moving forward into what you have. And we give to you all those other things. Cover them by your blood. Forgive us for putting our own interests above yours. In any place we've ever done that. And I do that too right now, Lord. In any and every way where my interests have been elevated above yours. Forgive me. Forgive us. Realign us to have your interests squarely fixed in our hearts. That you'd have the highest place in every way of our lives. And thank you for what you're doing in people right now. You're reorienting, realigning, 
helping making sense of situations. You've used even the difficult things and our failings to create something in us that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. By the power of your spirit, I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit and your fire, for a rebaptism in your love, in your power, and zeal and hunger for you, and to follow you wherever you go, and to have joy more than they've ever had, and to have those feelings of first love all over again with the one who loves us so much. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Why don't you grab a seat just for a second? We want to uh, we want to bless Matt and Debbie and the family today with an offering. And so, if um, any of you would like an envelope, if you'll raise your hand, we'll be glad to give you one. You can give online too, isn't that right, Donna? If they want to give online, you just designate it for speaker or for Matt. And um, so we'll just. Uh, Checks, Queen City Church again. And um, how many of you appreciated Matt this morning? Yeah. I was, when Matt was talking about when he got married, I was thinking about when I got married, which was the best, really best day of my life. Any of you that know Donna know that she's really just the dearest person. I was thinking about some ideas, though. I thought, you marry an image but you wake up with a person. You marry an image, but then you wake up with a person. And the Lord gives you the person to help conform you to his image. And so there's um, really, really something important. Life's tricky, man. Everybody needs help. Everybody got that right? Everybody needs help. And uh, that's what we're here for. We want to help people. We bring people in that uh, we believe, go ahead and receive the offering, guys. We bring people in that we think really has something to help us on a lot of different levels. And Matt's really one of my favorite people. I appreciate you and Debbie. And I still don't understand how you got such a beautiful wife, Matt. But I guess you you put that Jedi thing on her when you said house, mission. I do. Boom. That was it, right? Yeah, I need to learn that. I've got some other people I need to trick into stuff, so uh, not really. All right, um, we do have prophetic teams that will be glad. Any of you need prayer or help? Ministry, if you will show up right over here, we'll be glad to minister to you. And also, where's Stephen Giordano? Stephen's at the back. Any of you that have interest in learning how to minister prophetically or pray for the sick, anything like that, please sign up with Steve. And uh, here's John Mark. Uh, just as he's talking about ministry teams, during the worship today, I was standing over here and I felt this random pain just shoot up my side, my left side, from sort of just above my hip up and kind of through my arm like that. And I've been at the Lord recently. When I was younger, the Lord used to speak to me in very specific ways, like I could share you some stories. It's really hilarious and uncanny. And in the last couple of years, it hasn't been quite the same. And I was asking the other day, I was praying, like, Lord, why don't I hear from you the way, you know, I used to? So I'm trying to be more intentional with that. And so I'm standing over there and I feel this pain. I was like, oh, what did I do? You know, I was like, I didn't do anything. I was on an airplane all day yesterday. I didn't like play any like 
basketball or stretch or go work out or anything. I didn't do anything good that would have caused me to hurt, you know. You know, it's just the most random thing. And I thought, you know, maybe this is the Lord speaking to me for somebody. And since I'm recently opening myself up again to hear from the Lord, um, I'm just trying, I'm just in faith, get up here. So if, if anybody, if you have a pain, if you were hurt and it was, is right, it's like not full, it's like more on the side, right up through your arm, like this, I don't feel it anymore. It was, it was, uh, I don't know the difference in those two. Hmm? I'm not, I'm not in pain now. Yeah, so, but it, uh, so it, it kind of, it was kind of, I don't know, I almost had to sit down. It was that, yeah, it was muscular. Yeah, so it was, felt like I pulled a muscle or something like that. So, anyway, if, if, if anyone has had anything like that and, um, you want to get healed, um, when we have the ministry teams come up and the ministry teams will pray for you that you will be healed. I know, I'm, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. Awesome. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I'm going to pray and shut it down unless there's anything else that needs to happen. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this family. Thank you for this uh, place you've given us to grow. I thank you for my parents. I thank you for Matt, his his family, and his boys, who are all like huge now. Lord Jesus, it uh, just blesses my heart. Um, so Lord, I just want to end with thanks. Why don't you guys stand up? Let's just end with uh, a simple thanksgiving. Uh, Lord Jesus, I, I just believe that um, exi- to exist at all is to have won the lottery, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for every single breath, God, every single moment, Lord. We can thank you for all the good. There's a lot of bad in the world. There's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. But compared to the good, it's just so tiny, so minute, Lord Jesus. So we just thank you. We thank you for the day that you made. And we thank you for one another. And we thank you for you. And we ask you to um, go with us throughout the week, Lord. And, and speak to us, Lord, and be kind to us, because we know that's the kind of person you are, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.